I'm sort of sorry to do this, but I'm going to take you from that beauty over to a football field (laughs) where tempers were flaring. So the referee called a penalty and marked off 15 yards against the home team. One of the home team players, as often happens, was infuriated by this. He ran over to the referee and screamed, You stink! The referee calmly picked up the football and marked off another 15-yard penalty. Then he turned to the irate player, who was still 15 yards behind him, and he said, How is my aroma from here? (laughs) A referee has authority on a football field. A company president has authority in his company or her company. A platoon commander has authority over those troops. A pastor, (laughs) (laughs) just kidding. But who has authority over us? Who has authority over us? Today's gospel story from Mark is less about the healing of a man with an unclean spirit And much more about Jesus' authority and the way he expresses that authority. We started at verse 21 of chapter 1, but there's a whole lot in Mark's succinct gospel that happened up to that point. We've already met John the Baptist, and then we met Jesus, and then he was baptized and confirmed as God's son. He has been tempted in the wilderness. He has begun preaching. He has called his first four disciples. And now, now it's almost like a Wild West movie where the man in the white hat comes in and slaps open the doors of the saloon to save the town from the bad guys. But it's Jesus, in this case, entering a synagogue, not in the Wild West, but the Wild East, to teach and offer a different kind of salvation. Instead of going up to the bar and roughly opening a bottle of milk, Jesus is skillfully opening the Hebrew scriptures, teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. One commentator notes that when Mark says that Jesus' teaching has authority, he may mean something other than its credibility or reliability. Exactly what authority means here remains to be seen. So like in any good story, at the beginning, questions are already formulating in our mind. Why does this man have authority How is it different from the scribes? And, of course, how does that affect me? Research has shown that our words account for only 7% of everything we communicate to others. 7%. So Peter Drucker, Drucker counsels the most important thing in communication is to hear what isn't being said. When the unclean and belligerent spirit screams at Jesus, Jesus responds authoritatively with these few words. Be silent and come out of him. What he doesn't say and means is, I have authority over the evil powers of this world. 
That is a great comfort to me. I hope it is to you. That Jesus has authority over the evil powers of this world. Because sometimes they seem to overwhelm us. But Jesus has the power of God. When the unclean spirit leaves its host, the onlookers are all amazed and they begin asking, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So when you hear the word authority... What do you think about or what do you feel? Do you find, like I do, that you prefer to be your own authority and make decisions based on what you like and what you think is best? And so that when someone challenges our authority, we take it as an affront, even if they're right. Many of us, I think, have problems with authority because we've had maybe overbearing parents, or we've been hurt or abused by someone in authority. And so when we think about submitting to God's authority or Jesus' authority, it's challenging to offer any control to someone else. I think, it, I think God knows God knows that it's difficult for us to surrender our tightly held sense of control. After all, God did create us. But we don't have a capricious God who abuses authority. We don't have a manipulative God who pretends to want what's good for us but has God's own best interest in mind. We don't have a cruel God who wants us to be fragmented by whatever unclean spirits haunt us. We have a God who desires healing and wholeness. We have a God who wants us to be reconciled and at peace. We have a God who, according to the psalmist, acts in wonderful ways. Here again, these phrases from Psalm 111. Great are the works of the Lord. Full of honor and majesty is his work. He has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. This is the kind of person or God we want in authority. Have you ever had a teacher who too often gave you worksheets because she hadn't prepared well for class? Or have you had a boss who gave you a project that he was supposed to complete, but he put it off on you? We want those in authority to do their jobs well, to do them with integrity. And that way their authority is not only heard in their words, but experienced in their actions. In his book called Lessons from a Father to His Sons, John Ashcroft tells the story about Michael Jordan that he had heard. Until 1997, Michael Jordan was the leading player in the NBA for over a decade, but not the highest paid player. 
And when he was asked why he didn't do what so many other players do, hold out on their contracts until they get more money, Michael replied, I've always honored my word. I went for security. I had six-year contracts, and I always honored them. People said I was underpaid, but when I signed on the dotted line, I gave my word. Three years later, after several highly visible players reneged on their contracts, a reporter asked Michael once again about being underpaid, and he explained that if his kids saw his, their dad break his promise, how could he continue training them to keep their word? So by not asking for a contract renegotiation, Michael Jordan spoke volumes to his children. He told them, you stand by your word, even when that might go against you, even when that might go against you. But he didn't just say that. He lived it. When the people saw Jesus, they were amazed. They were in awe. And I think that awe is what Psalm 111 describes, too, that uh, strange statement that we hear and wonder about called the fear of the Lord, that reverential fear because of who God is and what God does. And God passes down those abilities for great works to his son, Jesus. And so when he has these times of teaching here in the synagogue at Capernaum, his teaching is confirmed by his actions. As followers of Christ, we allow divine authority to overshadow our personal authority. Only then, with God's help and guidance and authority, can we amaze people with wisdom and goodness that is beyond us. With God's help and guidance and authority, we become less selfish and more compassionate. With God's help and guidance and authority, we even have that power to cast out unclean spirits. By Jesus' trustworthy authority, we approach a table of grace. This table that we call the Lord's Supper or come union with union together, at this table we find healing, we find forgiveness. We come back together from our fragmented selves and lives and remind ourselves that Jesus is at our center and we want to keep him there. We replace him, then, as the center of our lives, just as this table is at the center of the congregation. Jesus, I picture with open arms, not just on the cross, but in his spirit, welcoming, embracing, inviting all who seek him to come to him, to arrive at him. Even if we leave and come back, we always come back. So all who seek Christ are welcome at his table. Let's pray. Precious Lord, take our hand and show us your promises. Help us too 
to let our actions betray that you are in authority in our lives. We thank you, O God, for love and sacrifice and forgiveness. In your name we pray. Amen.